1: You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and enjoy.
0: Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series. My name is Maddie Gobo. I'm the events manager here at Skylight Books in Los Angeles. Uh, We are still open for in-store shopping um, every day, 11 to 7 and on weekdays and 10 to eight on weekends. Um, We also offer curbside pickup those same hours and we're open 24/7 on our website, skylightbooks.com. So today we are going to be discussing a new short story collection, We Were Lucky With The Rain, which is by Susan Buttonweiser and she's gonna be in conversation with Lyman Claiborne. So I'm gonna read a little bit about them in just a second, but first some words about the book. The characters inhabiting Susan Buttonweezer's debut story collection, We Were Lucky With the Rain, stand at the margin of society, often perched on the knife's edge of economic disaster. Her characters cope with emotional and physical isolation as they try to build, keep, or renew family structures. No quick fixes, no miracle cures, await the people within these stories. This is fiction devoted to realism. Susan Buttonweiser is the author of the short story collection, We Were Lucky with the Rain, which was just published by Four Way Books in September. Her writing has been nominated for a Pushcart Prize and appeared in numerous literary publications and received fellowships from the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. She contributes news features regularly to Women's Media Center and teaches creative writing in New York City public schools and in high poverty neighborhoods with incarcerated women and older adults. Lyman Claiborne has been a librarian since 2011. He is currently the coordinator of services for older adults at Brooklyn Public Library. A native of North Carolina, Lyman has lived the last six years in New York City. Susan and Lyman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having us.
3: Thank you for having us. Thank you so much.
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, And I think, Susan, if you would like to start us off with uh, a little bit of a reading so we can get a taste of the collection, I would love to hear it.
2: Okay, sure. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to read the beginning of one of the stories um, that's called The Last Supper. Even though it's only Thursday, Jack and his family are going to watch a movie tonight, his mother announces when he gets home from school. His father is going to choose the film. You can have Coke to drink with dinner if you want. She mixes in a teaspoon of cold coffee into a bowl of chocolate icing. A freshly baked cake is cooling nearby on the counter. Even me, Tommy asks. Their mother is always telling him that five is too young for soda. Even you, she says. He is so excited that he spills his apple juice. He thinks the cake and the soda with dinner and the movie on a non-weekend night are all good news. It's daddy's special night, like when it's your birthday. She's down on all fours, sponging up Tommy's drink off the linoleum floor. He nods slowly, as if he understands what she's talking about, except it's not their father's birthday. A month ago, Jack's mom told him and Tommy that their father got a new job, but it was so far away that he would have to move there. It would only be for a few years, she said, but she wasn't sure if they could visit him or not. Also, he was kind of nervous about his new job, and they must never talk to him about it. Remember, Tommy, when you were scared about the first day of school? Well, that's how daddy feels. But Derek Winters, who lives across the street and used to be Jack's friend, showed everyone in the entire fourth grade the article in the paper. Two to five years for grand, grand larceny, the headline said. Although Tommy couldn't read yet and never saw the news, still he was pretty confused by their mother's explanation. Tommy remembered not to ask their father anything, but he had a lot of questions for her where exactly was daddy going and what was his new job and why couldn't they visit him? It made no sense. And he really couldn't understand why they didn't all move together like his best friend's family did last year when his father got a job in California. When Tommy got going with the questions, their mom would scream a tsunami of angry words and all three of them would wind up in tears. Then his mother would sit outside in the yard with a big glass of wine until it was dark and late and she forgot all about dinner. They'd eat cereal in a rush right before bed, the milk and honey nut Cheerios churning around in Jack's stomach while he lay under the covers and it would take a long time to fall asleep. Jack had to do something to make Tommy stop. He told Tommy that their dad was actually a spy on a secret mission and if he kept asking questions, Tommy would ruin the whole thing. Daddy is a superhero, Tommy asked. You can't tell anyone, promise? Jack said, and also promised that you'll stop asking mom about his new job. So finally, Tommy did.
3: Susan, I so enjoyed your collection of stories and I'm glad you picked this one because it was one of my favorites. Um, It made me wonder. So with this story and all of your stories, are they autobiographical or are they simply observations you've had in life, or do you just totally make them up from your imagination?
2: Um, They're not autobiographical. They're more um, observations of things and, um, and, and things that I, have you know, uh, from my imagination. I mean, kind of a combination. I usually have an idea or an image and um, that I start with. Um, Like, for instance, with this one, which is about the last evening of of the family um, before the father starts his prison sentence. I just had this, um, I got the idea from a newspaper article and I just sort of started with this idea about the the night and I, um, their evening together and I wanted to tell it from the point of view of the child, but a child who was had some information, um, not the really young child, and also the idea of the older sibling kind of trying to protect, you know, being really caught in the middle of the two. But I guess a lot of the stories sort of start with some, And sometimes I'll just see and I'll see something, you know, an image or something will come to me, like I'll see something and I'll like make a whole story about it. And I'll just need to sort of spend some time with the characters to kind of get their, um, you know, get get the idea of what's going on with them. So, and, but yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, I just always, I guess I sort of immediately knew that I wanted it to be from the child's point of view, but a child with, with some information, but not at all of the information. So like that was the tension and I just kind of went from there.
3: I love it, I love it. And maybe not to this one, but a lot of the stories when I was reading them, um, Could you speak to maybe the setting or the place? Because there were quite a few that really stuck with me as far as um, a great setting, a sense of place.
2: Yeah, Um, so, yeah. Well, I grew up in the, like, just outside Boston. And so many of the stories are set in this combination of real things from that whole area and my imagination. So I've kind of had this imaginary Town, kind of, that's based on a lot of real things in the whole Greater Boston area. So um, yeah, it's kind of like a like a that that comp- that sort of tension between real and in 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 my my own head. Um, there's a couple that aren't set there, but mostly like that's sort of. I feel like this somehow. There's like everyone is somehow connected to that area um, in, in the stories.
3: I like that. I love stories, uh, collections of short stories when I'm reading them and I feel like there's a web of connection uh, between them. Um, We can get into how you and I know each other um, because you are also a teacher as not only a writer as was mentioned in your biography Um, and in this story I thought about part of your job and you're as a teacher because uh you've done work with incarcerated women i believe
2: that's right yeah so i teach well we know each other because i teach writing with older adults through the brooklyn public library but i also teach um in um public schools and arts education programs in new york city that uh specifically are in high poverty neighborhoods and then i also do um i do teach in a in a uh in a a correctional facility with incarcerated women. And um, so, I mean, I would never, I mean, I, and I also write, I've written a lot of news articles about issues around incarcerated women. Um, And I also, I think it's sort of an issue I think about a lot. And um, I also, with this story in particular, I don't, like, I would never want to tell somebody else's story, I feel like, all of the people that I work with and teach with, I want them to be able to tell their own stories. And I would never, you know, that their stories are separate. But I definitely feel like they're like I'm just feeling what, you know, I I the for incarcerated women in, in particular, like the being separated from their children is literally like it's like they're in agony over it. And so that's really and this really stuck with me um as a human being and as a parent myself um i really really think about that all the time and so i guess with this story i was kind of interested to think about what it's like for the child especially a child who doesn't even know like a like he's he's 9 so he sort of has some information but he can't even imagine what this is going to be like to be separated like this and um, um so yeah, I guess, like, just the emotional, like, knowledge, I guess, I get from just being in life and through teaching um, definitely plays into the, into my writing, but not in a sort of, not in a, like, factual way, like I heard something and then I would use it in, in a story, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, it, it it, that does make sense, because there is a a strain of authenticity that runs through each of these stories. Um, I can really feel the emotion behind them. So maybe we should also talk about how you and I met. Um, So as mentioned, I am the coordinator of services for older adults at the Brooklyn Public Library. Um, And you had been doing um, programs in person with Mm -hmm. our older adults, age 50 and older, for quite a few years at Brooklyn Public Library. And then um, maybe you want to speak to the process of what happened okay. uh, in March when yeah. uh, c- COVID hit.
2: Yeah. So I've been like I've been teaching with older adults at the Brooklyn Public Library for like for several years, and this particular this one group of um, there's a one writing workshop that um, I've been working with off and on for several years and we started a new, like we'll have sort of like a 10 week session, right? Or something like that. And a new session started literally on March 2nd of 2020. Um, and we had two sessions and then um, the pandemic um, caused New York City to go into lockdown and the library shut and all, you know, everything shut. So we switched to being remote and um, at the suggestion of, you um, somebody in the group who said um during our last session we were pretty which was our second session um we we were we were worried about it and somebody suggested what if we did this over the phone we you know were there be a way after we quickly like literally at the end collected everyone's phone numbers and i set up a conference call and we met by phone for a while some people were pretty nervous about i suggested doing it over video but it was pretty early in the pandemic and people weren't Quite used to Zoom, you know, like the way now it's like you know, it's like second nature to everybody. And even um, and I and I I, I knew a, a few people said they wouldn't attend if we switched to video, and I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to exclude them, obviously. Um, and um, so we went along, and then in the summer, um, I guess there was a another grant that wanted us to be. We got a grant through the through the Apple Bank, and they wanted to be over zoom specifically but by that time everyone I think you know no matter what people have been talking with their grandkids or whatever so people were really comfortable and then it was like this revelation to be able to see each other um and that's that's when you you joined in in the summer too during that session
3: yes yes so I had helped to implement the uh programs go virtual on Zoom for the older adults and basically as a, the librarian I was just going to attend each of our programs just to make sure they were going okay and everyone was um, satisfied and I just literally got sucked into your program because you have such a an open um, honest creative air about you in your classes and it just became an addiction every week for me to just be in that writing group and a lot of that also uh, we do have to say has to do with the patrons too especially oh, yeah. during the pandemic Um, you probably have some yes, sto- yeah. stories about that
2: yeah thank you I mean like they the, I think that the group is really this incredible there's a core group of women in this particular writing workshop. I know they take other classes at the, the, through, you know, the Brooklyn Public Library, but they've been meeting and writing together, I think they said for nine years. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they've had someone like me, um, like a teaching artist come in and work with them. And sometimes they've just, but when when they're not, when that's not happening, they've managed to keep it going. So like they've formed a really, really Type bond. And even though there's been new people that have been added into the fold, I think there's like this warmth and trust. And I get the feeling that um, through the years, even before the pandemic, that many of them have gone through a lot, you know, over the years. So now that we're this been in this extreme situation where people are really, really struggling. I think they are really able to like, uh, gather around each other virtually, you know, and create this really warm space. And it's been incredible. I mean, people have come to the workshop literally from attending a funeral. People have have jumped on and they're like, Oh, sorry, I'm an hour late, but I was just like literally at a funeral. Um, And then, you know, everyone sort of has has leapt in to comfort them and people have gone through very intense things. People, you know, people have lost people, you know, participants, patrons in the writing workshop have literally lost husbands, best friends, family members and they've been able, they'll still come. And sometimes people say, I'm, you know it's too hard for me today, I'm just gonna listen. But other times people just read, you know like we won't even know what's going on with them and, and they'll read a poem they wrote and then it will come out. And the ability of everyone to they're trained grief counselors or something. It's just incredible. It's just a very, very, very supportive, warm environment, even for the people who are new, even this fall, like new people came and I think they felt so, you know, so wrapped, like comforted and like in a sort of communal hug from everybody.
3: Yeah, it's really a free space for people to almost gain uh, therapy, along with socialization, um, a sense of non-isolation. I like the way that you run the program, where you begin with a piece of writing, typically poetry, sometimes prose, um, and then you have all the attendees read that, and then um, take from that whatever inspires them. It's so wonderful to see how each person um, interprets a piece differently.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean I also feel like um, because from teaching in school and um, especially where this is much more of a formal lesson plan, um, I I do really want to um, sort of demystify poetry for for everybody and to feel like there are, I feel like poetry can feel so intimidating and for people who are not poets and don't regularly read poetry, you sort of think of being in high school and reading maybe something you don't understand at all. Um, so I really. I'm hoping to demystify it. And, and so I work really hard to try to find things that I think they can each, each whoever I'm teaching with who, what they can relate, like what they could relate to. Um, and because it's been mostly women in the group, we've looked at a lot of women and because of what's been going on, I've been trying to find things that um, can address it. And this group is so willing to really go there that I feel like we can we can like really look at poems that are tackling hard stuff. Um, but yeah, I, like we just sort of have an open discussion about the poems and, um, and also I'm not myself, um, I don't have uh, like a PhD in poetry, so I'm also just responding to it and in that way too. Um, but yeah, it's incredible how, um, and I also want them to feel like whatever they write, that's another thing so because everyone's sort of writing their own thing, there's this tendency at first where people say like, oh, we did it wrong or, you know, I'm doing my writing wrong and I'm, Trying to make them feel like, no, your voice is different from everybody else's, so you're going to sound different.
3: And I like that it's not um, like a typical writing workshop where everyone is critiquing one another. It's almost more of a support group um, and not a lot of critiquing or nitpicking. It's basically just letting everyone express themselves in their own way during isolation. Uh, I know for me, uh, I had written Way back many years ago when um, I was in my 20s, and basically life just got busy, and I haven't. Um, but something about stepping into your program, and maybe also during this time of COVID, it was almost like it turned on the spark. And I think it happens for a lot of our older adults and senior citizens who make the choice to come to these programs.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're a really great writer, and I, I you are, and I, I do think, like, that's my real hope, is that people will kind of, like, I feel like there's this tendency to view yourself as either I am a writer or I'm not a writer, and if you're not a writer, then you're not allowed to write, um, or if you're not an artist, right, like with the other programs that you do, right, like people, like, you know, if I'm not, like, I'm not an artist, so I I would never... I would never feel comfortable or I have a hard time. I would have a hard time feeling comfortable drawing or doing art because I, I don't view myself that way. And what I'm hoping to do. And I, you know, is to sort of like, I'll give permission to write and express yourself in that way. Um, I just also want to say, I think another really thing that makes the group so warm is that they do see each other in the other, at the other programs that the Brooklyn Public Library has and it's really unique like does the extent to the programming that you that you
3: all have. Well well, we do try to have extensive programming for older adults because um, the county uh, that Brooklyn is in is um, the largest county for the older uh, older adult population in the state of New York. Um, so Brooklyn Public Library really does try to focus on older adults, and which is unusual. Some library systems that basically just divide outreach into youth and then yeah. adults. Um, so at Brooklyn Public, we do have this whole department that I am coordinating which is focusing on older adults and it's it is really rewarding Uh, yesterday we I was in a class that is collage and poetry and we had a lady who said she never saw herself as a writer but through the encouragement of the librarians and the teacher and the students there, she feels like she's a writer now, and I think that that is very helpful to everyone, like you said, to feel like that they can be a writer, too, and get their feelings out.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, like, at our culminating event today at the workshop, people were talking about that, how they, how they felt, you know, they could, they have a different view of themselves, and I also think it's really great to have the participation from the Brooklyn, like, from the from you all, from the Brooklyn Public Library, like, you know, employees and librarians, you know, to have, like, it feels, makes it feel really professional to have that you guys are all joining in as well. Um, And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a huge, huge believer in that it's never too late. I really do. Um, I mean, like, my book, I'm 55, and this is my first book, and Um, And I was really inspired by this article that Roxanne Gay wrote a couple of years ago and she was talking, it was literally, I I remember, I I still have it, it was from New Year's Eve 2017 and it was like, it was an essay about like, is it too late to, to, it was something like, is it too late to like, um, you know, Follow your dreams, and her whole essay was like, "It's never, it's never too late. You're not a late bloomer. You're already blooming." It, you know, so like, I literally, I have it yellowed on my desk still. So that's
3: awesome. That's yeah. almost like the Grandma Moses effect. You're never too old to do art yeah. or writing. Yeah,
2: right, right. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I really, I really believe that. So, um, but Lyman, did you? I, I, I did really think you were a great writer and I wondered if you'd be willing to share one of your poems.
3: Uh, I can. Um, It was when you had a class which was an ode poem and you you told us to do an ode to something. So uh, mine was an ode to reflecting mirrors. When I turned 16, I lost my modesty and realized the worst thing for a southern country boy less than an hour from the Atlantic was having Casper the ghost, pale skin with no tan. So I started laying out after summer chores. My mom disapprovingly saying, your freckles are not going to join together, Lyman Jr. But Aunt Janie was my second mom. Aunt Janie also longed for things outside the farm, like golden tans. Aunt Janie worked for the town five and dime store and she finagled us some reflecting mirrors from the dressing rooms they were going to throw out for us to lie on. Reflecting mirrors covered in cooking oil. All we got was breast cancer for Aunt Janie 10 years later and 16 skin cancers throughout my life. I got out of the small town, but ain't Janie still there if I need to call her. She's Truly My Reflecting Mirror.
2: Beautiful. I love that so much.
3: Thank so you. Beautiful. So maybe one day I can publish a wonderful book like you have done. I'm re- I really love your book, Susan. Oh,
2: thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
3: And thank you for inspiring people like me who are older adults to keep on trying.
2: <laughs> but it, it's been like a complete pleasure to work with you all. So.
0: Thank you. Thank you both Lyman that poem was great I really enjoyed it and I'm not a poetry person so <laughs> don't be so modest um Susan thank you so much for sharing your stories and and your work as a teacher as well I think it's really important to talk about that side of writing and the the need for writers to foster each other and create these support networks so thank you for the work that you're doing um, and especially with older adults, that's, that's so meaningful. I'm thinking about my own grandmother who is the best writer in my family, but has never been published. Um, and I know she would love a class like that. <laughs> All right, so um, before we say our goodbyes, I just wanted to see if either of you had anything else you wanted to say or talk about that we didn't get a chance to touch on yet.
3: Uh, not for me. I just wanted to thank you, Maddie, for having us.
0: You're so welcome. It's been a pleasure.
2: Um Yeah. Um yeah, thank you. thank you so much for having us. I guess I just wanted to reiterate um the the how moving it's been to to work with um this particular group this year um at the Brooklyn Public Library. And just it's been I mean it it's been um just like it's something I'll really cherish as a, as a as a teacher. It was like a really special experience to be with these people and to have everyone like show up every week so engaged and honest and um, and it was just really incredibly moving and it really gave me hope for community, I must say that even though we're in this terrible time to see every week how kind and brave um, these the the participants were so mm. and thank you so much for for having me having us
0: you're so welcome all right everybody thank you so much um susan button weiser is the author of we were lucky with the rain the new collection out from four-way books i hope you order that through skylight and lyman claiborne soon to be published poet and brooklyn public librarian <laughs> thank you for joining us Um, Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I hope you all take care out there in the cold world and and find yourselves a circle like Susan's circle of writers to lift you up in these in these difficult times. All right, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side.
1: Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series.